You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. Pastor Jürgen Matesius here. I am so thrilled to be able to preach this word to you this morning. I know this is going to be a powerful word. It is going to rock your world. It is a deposit I got from God in prayer as we're walking through this crazy, crazy season in uh, not just America, but right around the world. So the title of my message today is Deposit in the Dilemma. The Deposit in the Dilemma. I want you to know that while coronavirus and literally our economy coming to a grinding halt and possibly many people being laid off or at least uh, maybe had their wages garnished or pushed back or on hold or uncertainty or foreclosure or how do I pay my rent? How do I pay my bills? I need you to understand that in the midst of all of that, God is still sovereign. God is still Lord. And I want to preach to you a word that God gave me. He says, preach this to the people that God is actually going to put a deposit into you because of this dilemma. Something that if you didn't go through this dilemma, if you didn't go through this crisis, you wouldn't have it. So whenever the world goes into a negative, you need to understand God is going into a positive. Whenever the world looks like everything's going down, better believe God is taking you up. When it looks like a demotion, God is ready for your promotion. So that's the context. So come with me in your Bibles. I want to read you a passage of Scripture. It's from Romans chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 16. And it says this, it says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to the grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So let me just say this, that Abraham is known all the way through the scripture as the father of our faith. He is the father of our faith. We used to sing the song, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons has Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord, right arm, left. And, and so, you know, the song. Well, what walks in fathers runs in children. Now, we always hear that, especially at men's conferences, in a negative. You know, my anger, lust, greed, covetousness, bitterness, whatever. Uh, we always preach it in a negative, that what walks in fathers runs in children. I want you to know tonight, today that because you are born again, you actually can draw down on a DNA gifting because what a father does is he passes down his genes. He passes down his DNA. DNA. He passes down his genetic code. Abraham, because of a wilderness that he walked through, which we'll read in a second, received a faith into his DNA, into his genetic code that is accessible to you and I for such a time as this. So I want you to draw this down. We want to go to faith, not fear. Fear brings out the worst in people. When Leanne and I recently landed in Australia, the first thing that we saw on the front page of the newspaper was a story where a man was tasered in Tamworth over toilet paper. Now, you know what? I'm not going to judge people who are getting tasered by police. There's a lot of reasons, but toilet paper, really? 
when people start getting tasered over toilet paper, you know that fear is not bringing out the best in people. It brings out the worst. We've all seen the news reports of people fighting and I saw an old lady pushed over in an aisle so that a young person could get the last bits of toilet paper. Fear never brings out the best in people. Faith always brings out the best. So let me keep reading in verse 17 of Romans 4. It says, It is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believe God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they did. God calls those things that are not as though they did. He speaks things into being. And then it says about Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. So we see here that Abraham has a deposit of faith. Now, when we look at the story, the issue looks like it's Sarah's womb. The Bible does not hide the fact that Sarah is barren. Sarah is unable to conceive. Sarah is unable to bring forth children. So many people say, well, hang on, maybe it wasn't Sarah. Maybe Abram is sterile, except Sarai brings forth Hagar, her, her mistress, and says, why don't you raise children for me through my mistress? And Abram went into Hagar and brought forth Ishmael. So we know there's nothing wrong with Abraham's seed. It's Sarai's womb. What God does is magnificent. I want to show you this because why doesn't God just end the coronavirus? Why doesn't God just heal? Why doesn't God just turn the economy? Why doesn't God just, why doesn't God just? Because God is going to deposit something in your dilemma. God could have touched Sarah's womb. God could have put a baby in Sarah's womb. It looked like if God did that, he would have fixed the problem because the problem was presented as Sarah is barren. Sarah is unable to bring forth a child. But God had a much bigger picture in mind. God wasn't thinking about a baby. God wasn't thinking about a pregnancy. God was thinking about a dynasty. God was thinking about a legacy. God was thinking about a nation. God was thinking about multitudes. And for God to do that, He had to take Abraham through a wilderness. He had to take Abraham through a crisis. He had to take Abraham through a dilemma where his own body was dead, the deadness of Sarah's womb, so that Abraham would understand Unlock a faith that into Abraham came a faith that changed everything in him and Sarah's life so that Sarah conceives at 89 years of age and at 90 brings forth Isaac, who becomes the father of Jacob, who becomes the nation Israel. And we have uh, the miracle of the Israelite nation, not only that, but Christ, the Savior, the Messiah comes through that and you and I are born again and we become sons and daughters of Abraham. All the way through the Bible, God deposits things in dilemmas. If God would have just touched Sarah's womb and brought forth the baby, 
there would have been no deposit. Abraham had to believe. This was the same belief that Joshua had when he fought Jericho. This was the same belief that Moses had when he went back to Egypt and commanded Pharaoh to let my people go. There was a deposit of faith that God saw that his descendants, that Abraham's descendants would need in the future to unlock the promises of God. You're walking through a dilemma. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. God is going to deposit something powerful in you through this dilemma that what maybe Satan meant as evil, God is going to mean for your promotion. When David walked into the valley, there was a giant waiting to kill him in the valley, but God had already predetermined David was coming through the valley, through the other side with the head of his enemy, setting the Philistines at flight through the, because of the nation Israel and because of this great victory. So let me give you some quick thoughts today. The first one is that uh, we need to cling to God's faithfulness, cling to God's faithfulness. When Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, Joseph was sent down to Egypt. Joseph had had two dreams. He had a dream of the, the sheaves of the field bowing down to him. And then he had a dream of the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowing down to him. And he shared that. His brothers hated him. They hated him because of his dreams. This young punk thinks he's going to be this awesome leader. Who the heck do you think you are? Well, Joseph, as we know, goes, goes down to Egypt. Is he, he faces not just the jealousy of his brother, but he faces betrayal at one of the highest levels, one of the deepest levels. He is then sold into slavery. This is injustice. He is now taken down in chains down to Egypt where he's put on a, on a dais and he's sold to the highest bidder, which happens to be Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief executioner. He's then put to work, forced labor in Potiphar's fields, in Potiphar's house. Everything that was familiar, everything that was comfortable, everything that was kind was stripped away from Joseph. He was a stranger in a foreign land. He went through betrayal. He went through injustice. And God removes everything or seemingly allows everything to be removed. Why? Because God was depositing in him a trust and a dependency on the faithfulness of God, that these dreams didn't come from Him. These dreams came from a divine source. Is God faithful? Can God bring me through what seems bleak? Well, the story gets worse as we know because Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him and he ends up in a prison accused of attempted rape. Surely it's over. Surely the dream is over. But in the midst of a prison, in the midst of an Egyptian dungeon, abandoned and forgotten by friends and family, when it seems like all hope is lost, his eyes cannot look to circumstances. He can't look to the economy. He can't look to the, the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, the index. He can't look to any of those things. He's got to look to the faithfulness of God. I want you to know, my friend, God is faithful. God has never stopped being faithful. In fact, it is impossible for God to be unfaithful. God can never be unfaithful. And so we see that Joseph clings to God's faithfulness. God delivers him. But before God delivers him, God does something very, very powerful. Because of every dilemma that Joseph had walked through, the betrayal, sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, taken down to Egypt, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned, 
learning to be faithful in all of those things deposited into Joseph is two things. Strength that comes out of hope and wisdom. So that now there's a famine about to hit the land. Pharaoh does not know how to govern. He does not know how to lead in a famine. But they hear of a prisoner who can interpret dreams. Pharaoh has, he brings him out when he interviews him. He says, surely the wisdom of the gods is in this man. And Joseph is elevated. Joseph, when he went down to Egypt, was a 17-year-old, spoiled, snotty-nosed, little tattletale brat wearing a multicolored tunic. But after 13 years of his dilemma, God deposits a wisdom so that he can take Egypt through the worst famine ever to hit the Middle East seven years. We've had like less than one week of famine and already the nations come to a grinding halt. Can you imagine seven years? Joseph got a deposit in his dilemma. God wants to do the same for you. The second one, second point number two is stay in the word. Stay in the Word. Now you may say, oh, okay, brother, I hear what you're saying, pastor. You want me to read the Word. No, no, no. When I say stay in the Word, I don't mean Word read. I mean Word applied. Stay in the application of the Word of God. In 1 Kings chapter 17, there's a magnificent story where Elijah prophesies a drought because of wickedness and Men in bad leadership making bad decisions, Elijah prophesies a drought. Then in around verse 5 or 6, the Bible says, because of this word that Elijah had released, because of the drought, the brook that he was drinking from dried up. And God said, arise and go to Zarephath and see, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. Well, when he gets to Zarephath, there's the widow gathering sticks. And he calls out to her, hey, sweetie, would you go and get me some water? Well, she goes off to get him some water and he realizes, oh, well, if she's the one who knows where there's water in a drought, she must be the one God's spoken about. And he says, hey, and also get me a little cake. I haven't eaten for about an hour. I'm a little bit peckish, wouldn't mind a snack. Well, now she loses it. She snaps. She turns around and she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have enough for you. I've got just enough flour and just enough oil to make one last cake. And then me and my son... You ain't invited. Me and my son, we're going to eat it and then we're going to die. Let me just tell you what fear does. Fear will drive you to a I've got just enough for me mentality. If you said, what is the language of death? What is the narrative of death? What is the commentary of death? It's living a life with just enough for you. You're never meant to be someone that has just enough for you. And Elijah sees, he says, oh, sweetie, oh, darling. He says, go and do what you've said. Go and make that cake. But first, bring it to me because I represent the word of the Lord. If you put God first, because darling, the economy has failed because of the drought. The crops have failed because of the famine. God's Word doesn't need crops. God's Word doesn't need rain. God's Word doesn't need water. God's Word doesn't need the fields to be green. God's Word does not need a vibrant economy. God's Word works infinitum. When God said, let there be light, this is four days before the sun. God doesn't create the sun until the fourth day. God's word don't need no help. That's the reason that God waits 
another three days till he, till he creates the sun, just to show you and I that his word has its own self-generator. It, when God sends out his word, it never returns to him void. It always accomplishes that for which it is sent forth. Stay in the word. Stay true to the word. Keep applying the word. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, not whoever hears these sayings of mine and pontificates them, ponders them. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and applies them to his life will be like a man who built his house on the rock. Man, the floods came, the winds blew, the storm raged, but the house still stood. Anybody who hears these saying and doesn't apply them, friend, it's in the application of the Word of God. Keep tithing. If you made a vision builder's commitment, keep giving, keep sowing in. You may say, but you don't understand. I'm in a drought. She was in a drought. You don't understand. I don't think I'll have enough to make it through. She didn't have enough to make it through. But when she put God first, she unlocked a divine flow of blessing that came. Little boy gives five loaves and two fish. What are they amongst so many was the commentary. Jesus knew exactly what they were. He brings them to God. When you bring to God, you will find that you release a God flow because God's Word works. He doesn't need a bustling economy. He doesn't need a booming economic situation. He doesn't need there to be no drought or no famine. God's Word works in every circumstance and in every situation. That's why Jesus said, peace be still and a Immediately, the storm subsided. The wind and the waves went into an immediate calm because the world always responds to the Word of God. There is no higher power than the Word of God. The Bible even says about sickness and disease that Jesus healed them with a word. Point number three. Let me give you this last one. Point number three. Keep your praise flowing. Keep your praise flowing. In Isaiah 54, powerful scripture, it says, Sing, O barren, and you who have not bore, for more are the children of the desolate woman than her who is with husband. In other words, Isaiah is saying right there, or God speaking through Isaiah, saying, Whatever you want to see breakthrough in, don't lose your praise. The devil knows if he can steal your praise, he's already got your stuff. There is something about praise that unleashes the power of God. Let me, let me read you this very, very powerful scripture in, in uh, Psalm 67, verse 5 and 6. It says, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you, verse 6, then the earth will yield to you her increase. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. So I want you to notice in verse 5, let the peoples praise you, verse 6, the earth shall yield its increase. When you praise God, when you praise God, it releases something in the earth. God is the king over all the earth. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. As you praise God, you'll find that things begin to flow. The Bible says, as we praise God, the earth yields its increase. It responds to praise. Psalm 100 verse 4 says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We enter His gates with thanksgiving. That's why Jesus, when He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven and He gave thanks. 
He didn't complain about how little it was. He didn't complain about how significant. He gave thanks. Give God thanks. Practice thanksgiving. That's how you enter into the gates of God. God lives in a gated community. When you enter into His gates, His presence is there. There's no poverty inside of His gates. There's no lack inside of His gates. There's no pestilence, disease, famine, or drought inside of His gates. You need to, in the season, enter into His gates, and it begins with thanksgiving. But don't stop there. The Bible says we enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. When do people go to court? When they're seeking justice. You better believe you may have been unfairly dismissed. You may have been laid off at work. It looks like this wasn't your fault. You didn't ask for the coronavirus to hit. You didn't believe, you just got, there may be all kinds of injustice that you're facing. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, but now lift up your voice and begin to praise God. Hang on, hang on, pastor. Are you saying that I should praise God because I got let off. Are you saying I should praise God? Because right now I don't know how to pay my bills. Are you saying, no, no, I'm not saying you should praise because of. I'm saying you should praise God in spite of. The Bible says to give God praise in all things, not for all things, in all things. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. When you praise God in the midst of your crises, when you praise God in the midst, you release God's presence you release God's justice, you release God's fruitfulness, and you release God's vindication. When the children of Israel walked through the wilderness for 40 years, what was God teaching them? God was teaching them, hey, I'm going to take you through a desert from Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey to show you that my power don't need any help. I'm going to show you that my word doesn't need favorable circumstances. They had Two groups of people, one with the language of complaining, the other with the language of faith, the other with the language of thanksgiving, the other with the, thank, the language of praise. Guess which ones entered into the promised lands and guess which ones were taken out by the desert? Guess which ones were taken out by the drought? Guess which ones were taken out by the dilemma? The complainers, the whiners. Your words have power. Shift, become a praiser. Keep your praise on. You might need to put some praise and worship on and home to help you, but keep the praise flowing in your house. You will unlock and release a power that cannot be stopped, a supernatural power that flows from heaven itself that causes the earth to yield to you its increase, that brings forth justice and brings forth breakthrough. Well, that's all the time that we got together. I want to pray for you today. I believe that God is going to bring breakthrough. God is going to bring miracles. As you just apply that word, God is going to deposit something in the midst of your dilemma. But maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never surrendered to God. Or maybe you, you know, you're tuning in today because you just need something positive and you're not sure about all this God stuff. I want you to know uh, I am exhibit A that there is 100% proof that God is real. My life, the last 34 years, God is so real. God is so faithful. God is so good. He took the son of an atheist, German, East German soldier, and converted him on a beach and for 34 years has been faithful, not just in New Zealand, not just in Australia, not just in Germany, but right here when we moved to San Diego, knowing nobody. I am exhibit A that God is real, God is good, and God is faithful. And I got to tell you, I don't have time to share all the stories, but if you put your trust in this God, He will lead you through. God is not vexed or phased by dilemmas. In fact, God has got a deposit for this dilemma that He wants to put into your life. 
life. So I want you to pray this prayer. Maybe you're backslidden, come back to God. Maybe you're angry. Friend, being angry at the solution doesn't help you. You need to embrace the solution. The solution is Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you once walked with God, but you don't anymore. Friend, come back. Maybe you had a religious upbringing, and that's kind of good. But Jesus didn't die to make you religious. He died to make you His. God's not interested in religion, what you can do. God is interested in relationship. It's all what He has done on the cross. He wants you to be in His family. And God is a good Father and a good provider. So why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say these words out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to You today and I ask You to come into my heart, come into my life, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for all my sin. Lord Jesus, deposit into my spirit something from heaven in the midst of this dilemma. I am your child. I am your servant. You are my God and my Father from this moment forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.